The Enviro Show with Nancy Richards. The Enviro Show, it is here coming to you from South Africa where things are, relatively speaking, quite safe, I suppose. Well, it's the Enviro Show and together with me and uh, Kim Winter and Derek Fordyce and because there is every chance that you might well be packing your bags even as we speak to go on holiday right this very minute, we thought we'd take a look at what's going on on our roads. Going to be talking with the marketing manager of TomTom, Carrie Dodds, who's got some rather amazing statistics on traffic in the cities. Then after that, we'll be talking to the former president of the South African Roads Foundation, who's now with the CSIR, Paul Nordengen. And he's going to be talking a little bit about the effect or the the impact of heavy-duty vehicles and what can be done to uh, lessen that impact. Then after that, air quality. Uh, to what extent does traffic impact on it? Well, certainly quite a lot. But how do we measure it and how good or bad is it here in South Africa? We'll be talking to Weather Services Chief Lotta Mayana, who gives us his input on that, certainly somebody who, who knows a great deal about air, the quality thereof, and how it gets measured. Then, as I said in our forage uh, feature, we're going to be finding out how rooibos is impacting cider. That's from Tamsin Mullins of the Windermere Farm in Elgin. And then to close, the Ecological Awards. Well, if you are in the green industry in whatever way, maybe you've got a product or a service or a business, and you'd like to enter it for the Ecological Awards, well, do keep your ears pinned back because we're going to be giving the details on that. Uh, chatting to Linda Baker, who's with the Enviropedia, the people who put together the Ecological Awards each and every year. So that's what we've got coming up on the show. If I can just uh, give you a quick bit of eco info. Earlier this week, apparently the first solar roadway opened in Amsterdam. It's a 70-meter stretch of cycle, uh, cycle path between two suburbs of the city. And what, they, what it does, it generates solar power from rugged textured glass-covered photovoltaic cells. So can you imagine that? Solar roadway. Well, we're going to be talking about roadways and our roadways right here in South Africa and the impact that they may be having on our health. It may be getting us around, but are they doing our health any good? And then I just have to share this with you. I mean, we all know that it was April Fool's Day yesterday, but I wonder if you, like me, got even slightly taken in with uh, Cape Town to get new attraction as Table Mountain coal mine gets go-ahead. The world-renowned Table Mountain is to benefit from a new attraction with the opening of a huge coal mine, it was confirmed today. Recently voted one of the seven wonders of the world of nature, the famous landmark has been selected as a brand new site for the new underground and open cast mine with preliminary work due to begin on the site next month. Well, we we did know it was in April full, but there you go. I just thought I'd share that with you in case you missed it. And aren't we lucky that that's not happening? So you're listening to The Enviro Show. And if you'd like to give us a call, you can do that. You can call us on 0892102010, And don't forget that The Enviro Show is podcast. So if you'd like to listen to it all over again, you can do that too a couple of days, I think, possibly even tomorrow. Um, www.safm.co.za. Check our Facebook page too. It's The Enviro Show on SAFM. The Enviro Show. We're talking of Easter holiday, the Easter road death toll apparently dropped from a staggering 201 in 2013 to only 148 in 2014. Well, that's according to the Department of Transport. And that was during the launch of the 2015 Easter road safety campaign. 
at which Minister of Transport de Puel Peters said that even though the 26% decline was encouraging, road deaths were still a major cause for concern in South Africa. Well, certainly, I mean, I say only 148 in 2014. That is still a huge number, especially if you're the family of one of the victims. Well, I don't know what it is about Easter. Maybe it's because it's so very concentrated as a holiday, but it seems that everyone not only takes to the roads, but even drives slightly more recklessly than at any other time. Or maybe it's just because there's simply more traffic on the roads today than ever there has been before. Well, TomTom's traffic index has come up with some rather interesting statistics, uh, which shows that Cape Townians actually spend more time in traffic than any other city in the country. Joburg come in second, um, but with the most congested city in the world apparently being Istanbul. Well, there are all sorts of stats and figures and, and details, so we've got on the line to tell us a little bit more about TomTom's traffic index. Uh, Carrie Dodd, who is the marketing manager for TomTom. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Well, excellent. How interesting are these statistics? When I heard that uh, apparently Cape Town spent, Cape Townians in, uh, spend something like 90 hours a year in traffic, which is even more than Johannesburg. What is going on? Yeah, and it's, uh, I think, uh, you know, the 2013 report, uh, that was the major the change in that uh, Cape Town overtook Joburg as the most congested. And now 2014, mm. we're seeing the same trend. I think what's even more interesting is that globally, uh, the trend is that the, the evening rush hour is more congested. Yet we're quite unique in South Africa that when we look at our stats, it's the morning rush hour that is the most congested. And for example, in Cape Town, um, they are... Their, their morning condition is 71%. So what that means is if someone is traveling 30 minutes, they've got to add on 70, sorry, 72%. So they're traveling almost 52 minutes. And if you look in Joburg, their morning rush hour is sort of 59%. So there's quite a big uh, sort of percentage drive. And if you look globally, Cape Town ranks in the top 10 worst morning congested peak uh, times to travel. It's it's extraordinary, and it seems that it's really quite sudden. And I have to say, after I heard these statistics, I'm not in the least surprised. I mean, so watching the, the early morning traffic and the evening traffic, there just seems to be so much more than ever before. Is it? Do we have any whys? I mean, am I going to ask you these questions? You're thinking, I have no idea. We just know what the facts are. Yeah, unfortunately, it is a little bit like that. I mean, we do know, for example, like in Gauteng, uh, so including Joburg and Pretoria side, that the most congested day was the 3rd of Feb. So when we started looking around uh, on the news portals, it really around that time was adverse weather conditions. And in Cape Town, uh, sort of the 7th of March was the most congested. When we started again looking around, we noticed that the day before load shedding was announced. So I think there's a number of... Um, sort of elements that are causing this. We also see that globally, the most congested cities are actually cities based on the coastal line. So whether that's not to do with accessibility into these cities, you know, not enough major roads going in and out of the city. Uh, and what we're finding is actually in, in all of uh, South Africa is Monday morning is the worst time to travel. Well, it is the worst time to travel, isn't it? especially <laughs> if you're going to a job that you don't really like. You know, the extraordinary thing about this is, well, we've just had the, the huge petrol price increase, and one wonders if that wouldn't somehow make an impact on this. Would it, um, 90 hours a year in traffic, would it, I suppose it wouldn't make any difference if people were carpooling, really, would it? Because, I mean, or would it? Would there be fewer cars on the road and maybe there'd be less congestion? 
Yeah, sure. I think there would be. I mean, 90 hours works up to, you know, around 11 days sitting in traffic. Uh, that's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot of days sitting in traffic. So, I mean, we believe that uh, building new infrastructure is not a long-term solution uh, that, that is sustainable. Um, you know, we, we have the tools available as a consumer to have a navigation device that has traffic in it to route you around those condition areas. And if we can hope to sort of uh, spread out the congestion uh, that would hopefully bring down the congestion and again you know up to businesses to maybe look at get a smarter planning uh, working hours for for the um, for the employees to avoid yeah. the, the most congested time or decentralize yes because uh, you know Cape Town is really quite small and I suppose the other thing about Cape Town is that there are not so many options because it's a coastal town you know there's there's only sort of like one way in and out which makes it a little bit more difficult but this on average apparently congestion across the country's highways has increased by two percent across the country do we know except in Johannesburg where they've had a one percent decrease do we know if this is in line with the amount of people buying cars I mean are there simply more people able to buy cars would this be have the impact I mean, we don't have those facts, so I mean, I can't say. Mm. Uh, it, it could be a reason, but yes, it's, it's very interesting that it's a decrease. Um, but actually, the most congested is on the ha- on the non-highway. So often people think taking the back road yeah. is the shortest route, but in fact, it's more congested than on the highway. Are there, again, I'm asking you questions that may be more difficult for you to answer, but are there any of our cities that seem to have got it right? Um, Bloemfontein is ranked fourth in the country, spending only 60 hours a year in traffic, which isn't quite so bad. But uh, is it because they have fewer cars in Bloemfontein or is it because they've got things more right or better worked out? would potentially say that's fewer cars, but um, yeah. again, uh, you know, I can't say what we did say. See, was a change in Pretoria overtook East London as the most congested uh, city, and um, in fact, East London in 2013, their congestion on the highway was 11 percent, and it's now come down to 8 percent. So it's something they're doing right there. <laughs> the, what What are you planning to do with this information? I mean, is it is it for sort of like the shock factor? Or is it going to go reach anybody's eyes? Are going to do something about it? Because the, the point is that we shouldn't be spending quite so much time sitting in cars and in traffic uh, so much as concentrating on public transport, really. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, what we, this TomTom Traffic Index report is a very high-level report, but um, businesses, road authorities, local governments can actually license this data and drill right down into where are the bottlenecks and how can we yeah. sort of relook to, to uh, the existing structure to improve it where the bottlenecks are happening. And that's really what we're trying to get out there. There is this big data that is available to analyze and, and better plan. Just looking at the statistics, I was going to say, are there any other countries or cities that we can look at to learn from? And I see that the um, the highest, well, TomTom this year has included China and the United Arab Emirates in the survey for the first time, which seems to have yes. um, bumped up the statistics. Who, who comes out top as the most congested city in the world? Well, that would be Istanbul, and um, they would be looking to do um, add-on to 109% to their journey. And that's the average. So I mean, that's 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 huge, really. What? And then followed by yeah. Mexico City, and then Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, sure. I believe Mexico City is is absolutely hectic, but clearly so is Istanbul. Do they? I mean, do, do they? Nobody taken a leaf out of London's uh, London's book and use congestion charges to stop people coming in. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, uh, you know, perhaps they were trying it with the, the sort of e-tolls and that, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that uh, needs to be looked at. It's quite scary, isn't it? And the other thing about, I mean, I can only really speak from experience here in Cape Town, but, you know, and, and thank heavens for Rob Byrne, because if there's been a, a, a crash, you know, a, a heavy truck or any other sort of vehicle that's had a crash, that can clog up the roads, you know, significantly way more. Yes, definitely. And I mean, our TomTom GPS devices, what we do is we actually get every two minutes updates navigating so if you're going from a to b it'll update the device every two minutes and we actually pull our feeds from rob um and and to know that it's either an accident or it's a roadblock and it will automatically tell you the faster route so it will say i've got a route that's 12 minutes faster do you want to take this yeah i guess i'm not sure where we go with this i mean but the the you know the figures are certainly a bit of a wake-up call aren't they yes um has it has it altered your personal carry has it altered your personal sort of driving habits do you, have you taken a look at this and think no ways do i need to be spending 60 hours or 90 hours sitting in the traffic yeah i mean for me i personally uh, i've been looking at okay what are the best days to travel and if i look in cape town for example the best morning peak time travel is on thursday and the best evening peak travel is to try on a wednesday for you know, when I received this report last week, I thought, I'm going to try this. I'm, I'm actually going to try on the best uh, morning days and, and see if I can flip my own schedule around. And thankfully, I have a, a business that supports this uh, to be able to see if this does have an effect. Yeah, I think there are two options, really, to either alter your working hours or think about working from home. Yes. Or mind you, if you're spending 90 hours a year in traffic, you could be working in your car. But that's maybe not such a good idea. Kerry, thank you very no. much. If anybody would like to find out more, have you got all these stats on the site? Yes. And so if you go to um, yeah. www.tomtom.com forward slash traffic index. Okay, so www.tomtom.com forward slash traffic index. Got it? Yep. Excellent. Good. Thank you. Thank safe, you so much. safe journey. Thanks very much. Kerry Dodd is marketing manager for TomTom. How scary is that? So if you're in Cape Town and you're a computer, the chances are in, and you're a commuter, sounds like you could be a computer, and you're a commuter, you could be spending 90 hours a year in traffic. Think what you could be doing with 90 hours. Really scary stuff. Well, moving on, but staying with a similar situation, we have on the line next Paul Nordengen. He is a former president of the, um, the road accident, no, not the road accident fund, with the... Um, uh, road services, yep, with the South African Road Federation. Sorry about that, Paul. But he's currently with uh, the CSIR, and he's I think he's focusing largely on heavy-duty vehicles and what can be done about their impact. We got him on the line. Hi, Paul. Hi. Hi. Sorry about that. Battled with your no with your problem. designation there. So tell me, you're now with the CSIR, but at one time you were with the, the Roads um, Federation. So what was no, your... I've, I've actually been with the, the CSIR all along. Okay. Um, I've just, I'm currently still involved with the, the Road Federation. It's a non-profit organization. Okay. And so I'm, I'm, well, I'm permanently employed at the CSIR. I, I was uh, for a few years president, but I'm still actively involved in the South African Road Federation. What do they do exactly? What, what is their mandate? Their, their mandate is to promote good use of roads, safe, um, uh, productive use of roads to promote the economy of, and quality of life of, of people in South Africa. Okay, so to promote the economy and promote quality of life. 
What, somebody once said to me that the thing about roads is that we should be concentrating our energies less on roads and more on public transport or alternative forms to get to reduce the number of people who are on the roads. What, what's your feeling on that? Uh, oh, absolutely. I think um, there's, uh, there's a few um, objectives. So one is to maintain a, a good road network to ensure efficient and safe transport, but also to promote um, greater use of public transport because we we limited in the amount, number of roads that we can build. So we have to not look after them, but also try and maximize the, the use of the roads. And we have to look at what's, what and who is on the roads. You know, I look with envy at people who are driving scooters and motorbikes and thinking it's so the way to travel because you can just get there faster. But then you get stuck behind a great big truck and you think, could the truck have moved at a different time of day? You, you know, has anybody done any sort of research on on uh, the times of days that big trucks travel? You know, when you see them in rush hour traffic, it just seems so inappropriate. Yes, well, I think um, a lot of the trucking companies try and avoid uh, congested periods simply to, to improve their efficiency and reduce costs. Um, unfortunately, there are times when trucks do travel uh, during congested periods but and those would probably be more the long distance operators and where it's difficult for them to for example if they're traveling from Bytebridge to um, to Durban to plan to miss a uh, peak hour traffic for example in Gauteng but a lot of the, the, the short um, urban uh, operators will do deliveries out of uh, peak periods to avoid just simply to improve efficiency. You know, one of the things we haven't touched on, but we're going to be, in a minute, we're going to be talking to Lotta Miana, who is uh, Chief of the Weather Services. He's going to be talking about air quality. But the impact of all this traffic on the roads mm. is obviously, you know, the amount of emissions, the, the fuel, the, the, the fumes that are being pumped out into the air are huge. Is that something that, you know, you, the CSIR, is that something that you uh, are involved with? Uh, absolutely. Mm. Um, I think a, a lot of people uh, talk about the, the new engine technology that's being developed in Europe. So you talk about the Euro 4, the Euro 5 and Euro 6 engines. That's all very well. But if, if you look at um, South African uh, truck traffic or heavy vehicle traffic, I think one of the biggest causes of emissions uh, is as a result of, of inadequate maintenance of trucks. Um, and also drivers, driver inadequate driver training. So, so we may be looking in in a few decades' time for um, improved technology for for truck engines to re reduce emissions. But we can achieve huge gains right now by improving, um, ensuring better maintenance of, of of commercial vehicles on the road. And a lot of the drivers are, are, are far short of, of driving efficiently, which it can increase um, fuel consumption yeah. and therefore emissions uh, dramatically. We'll get on to you know, more efficient driving in just a minute, but just going back to the Euro 4, 5 and 6 mm. engines, just explain what those are. Well, uh, the, the truck manufacturers uh, really come are mostly in, in Europe and uh, the Far East, and there's developments in... Um, engine technology uh, to improve efficiency to re reduce emissions, CO2 particulates, uh, nitrogen uh, nitrogen oxides. 
Um, one of the one of the challenges in in the developing world is is that we have to be able to have um, a, a adequate supplies of improved fuels. So traveling in Africa, uh, you may get 500 parts per million diesel quality. 50 parts is difficult. The new engines that are coming out from Europe require 10 parts or less um, for diesel. Uh, so this is a, a challenge which I think is not going to be easily overcome in the, in the near future. And, and that's why I say that um, looking at the current fleets that are on our roads, mm. which are likely to be here for, for a, a number of decades. Um, so we have to look at working with what we've got. Yes, and, 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 and there's, uh, one of the projects that we're involved in is, is a self-regulation project uh, called the Road Transport Management System. Uh, it's an accreditation scheme with an SABS standard, and that, that requires operators who are certified to have um, proper vehicle maintenance um, schemes in place, um, driver training programs in place, and some of the monitoring that we've done with some of the fleets that have become um, certified have shown dramatic reductions in fuel consumption and also um, accidents and incidents on the road as a, as a result of better driver training, which uh, in mm. turn, a lot of these things are interrelated. So if you have poorly, main tra- poorly maintained trucks and, and poorly trained drivers, your risk of crashes increases crashes on during um, peak hours in, in, in cities creates uh, big increases in congestion, which then increases emissions. So a lot of these things are very interrelated. Do fleet owners sort of willingly um, sign up for the road transport management system, or can they be sort of um, incentivized in some way no, to make it, it worth their while? It varies. I think one of the objectives of, of promoting it is to um, to make to to inform operators that actually running a, a, a fleet of trucks the way it should be um, prop, proper main, uh, um, management systems in place for managing drivers trucks driver hours etc is actually the way that one should be running a transport company and it's a it's it's a sustainable um, option um, and many of the Professional fleets are, are, are running their fleets uh, in that way already, mm-hmm. but, uh, but this project is to try and raise the bar, I suppose, for heavy vehicles in South Africa, because um, uh, a lot of the transport operators are operating well below that, that sort yeah, of acceptable yeah. professional standard. Sometimes I guess it's a matter of money. But just just in closing, Paul, maybe you can just give us a couple of tips on how to drive, I mean, whether or not we're driving heavy-duty vehicles or just your regular car, on, on driving more efficiently, effectively, um, for, from the safety point of view, but also from the sort of carbon emissions point of view. Well, maybe I should uh, pass you on to my wife here, I think. <laughs> no, I, I, look, I think um, it's, uh, it's just a matter of... of Staying within the speed limit, um, respecting other drivers. Um, I think you know it is just the normal uh, driving tips that one would would um, abide by the regulations. Um, I think overspeeding of trucks is a big problem in our country, um, which increases fuel consumption significantly and and also increases the risk of 
pressures. Yeah, and with petrol, the price that it is, I think you can, whatever you can do to reduce consumption is a very good thing. Mm. Paul, thank you very much, and have a, a peaceful, safe, and happy Easter. And thank you very much thank for sharing. Thank you, and you too. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Paul Nordengen, he is currently with the CSIR, um, with the CSIR, but he was also, well, still is with the South African Road Federation. If you'd like to know a little bit more about the, the things he was discussing in terms of, um, you know, driving better, more efficient, check their site, which is csir.co.za, csir.co.za. Well, all this traffic has got to be impacting on our air one way or another, as I was saying earlier, factoring in the vehicle fumes that inevitably get pumped get pumped out. Lotta Miana is the Chief of Weather Services of South Africa, and he's also Chief Technician on Air Quality Information, so I imagine he would have some information to share with us. We've got him on the line. Hi, Lotta. Hello. Um, Hi. Good, good evening, uh, NC, and good evening to SAFM listeners. Oh, very nice to have you with us. Thank you very much. Um, can we just sort of start by unpacking your designation and what you do there? You're, you're Chief of the South African Weather Services, but you're also very involved with air quality information. Just explain to us how those two things fit together. Um, look, um, my, my designation within the Weather Service, uh, I'm the Chief Technician for Air Quality Information. Uh, basically, my role is then to assist the municipalities with capacity building, um, as well as supporting them with their air quality management plan uh, to put up some of the stations, ambient stations that we have around the country to ensure that those that are down, we resuscitate those to ensure that we are able to collect data that we can put on our website, which is the SACWA, South African Information uh, System. So basically, mm -hmm. what we then do, we focus on validation of that data, then we use the data for forecasting. Okay. I'm still not quite sure how weather services and air quality link together. I mean, I suppose I'm thinking of air quality, if you've got a, a lot of wind, which we do here in Cape Town, you know, it blows away all the pollution, presumably. But is it as simple as that, or d does the weather have more of an impact on the quality of our air? Uh, the weather does have impact on on the dispersion of of, of, of air as as well as the dilution as well. You'd find that on low wind days, you'd get uh, that that there's more concentration uh, of uh, in the air and it's just hanging. Whereas whereas when you get high wind days, that the pollution itself is just being blown away. Just explain then how air is tested, how it's measured. You, you mentioned these different stations all over the place. How does it actually get measured? Because it must differ from suburb to suburb, from township to village. It, it must be different in every every small location. Uh, well, what's what's basically happening is that we we've got um, air conditioned um, trailers around the country. So those air-conditioned trailers, uh, they, they've got a pump that is constantly sucking air through an inlet manifold inside the caravan. Then there's a sample stream. That sample stream then goes to different analyzers, and those different analyzers then sample the air and analyze it for different pollutants that is, is present in the air. So basically the energy that is being used is directly proportional to the concentration that is available of that particular uh, pollutant in the air. 
Can you give us an idea, give us a sort of a sample of what, what might be found in an air, in, you know, in the, the air sample in any particular area? What would you be looking for? What would you be likely to find? Look, each, each, and, every, each and every area, there's uh, the, the department there, which is whether it be a province or municipality, they would have uh, what we call an air quality management plan. On their air quality management plan, they would include things like emissions inventory to understand what sort of emission sources they have from from uh, mobile sources uh, to to point source to so that they can be able to quantify the emissions that are in their region. So so once they have that, they would then have to look at whether uh, the, that presence is going to compromise the air quality. But also is also the constitutional right for 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 those for those uh, entities to to measure to measure air quality. Then that air quality data then comes to source, which is us, and we distribute it. So, for instance, in in any particular area, you'd get transport transport pollution. That that that's common across uh, across the country. But it's going to depend whether you're in a suburb area or in a rural area. The rural area, you've got gravel roads, for instance, and there might not be traffic congestion, whereas in urban areas, you get a lot of traffic congestion, and, and, and that will result in air pollution. So coming back to what would actually be found, I mean, if we're looking at where there's heavy pollution, what would we be finding in the air? Um, in the air, when you, when you, for instance, looking at, at pollution, you'd find particulate matter, which is basically uh, your, uh, we, look, we look at 10 microns and we also look at 2.5 microns. That is basically the size of those particles. And, and, and that's what you'd get if you've got vehicles and from the roads as well. And you'd also be finding uh, oxides of nitrogen as well. That is, it comes from fuel that is burned at high pressures. And you'd also be finding uh, traces of SO2 as well. SO2 is, is that will result from coal and oil if, if that is spent. Uh, so you'd also get ozone as well because because eventually eventually those will then result in as, as a precursor of, of VOC and they would give you some, some level of ozone. Let's just stay with the transport because, you know, we were talking about the fact that everybody is on the roads at the moment. Apparently, you know, the traffic is going to be congested right across the country um, until sort of at least midday tomorrow. So in those areas where there's a huge amount of traffic, I mean, in the old days, you would see a lot of bad stuff pumping out of some people's exhausts. You don't see that quite so much anymore. And yet there's still stuff pumping out. So whatever is in the petrol um, it's it's somehow coming out into the air in in the form of particulate. Yeah, look, um, you yeah that that is true that it is it is it is being emitted, uh, particularly uh, around around this time when there's a lot of congestion. But we we must also acknowledge that a um, lot of 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 cars on the road now they've also improved on technology. For instance, I think there's something that is called blue motion. Technology. So what it does basically, when when the car stops, it, it, it switches off the engine. That means then there are no longer emissions. Mm -hmm. So we've got a number of cars like that on the road, and we still have cars, your your old vehicles. But your old vehicles will typically be 
used for local trips but not for long distance. So there is that improvement as well as there was improvement on our diesel as well. So those emissions have really um, increased and they are being monitored. And I understand that in, in certain cities as well across the country, they, those emissions, they are managed via their bylaws, their own bylaws. For instance, if your car is smoking, the exhaust is smoking, the law and the law, the law enforcement, they would stop you, pull you off, and they would have to give you a fine. Basically, what they give you is a service directive that you must take your car to a service. Uh, obviously, if you're a big offender, then they might have to to take harsher harsher steps than that. So, so there are means uh, that that municipalities are, are are putting to ensure that we we're not polluting. Yeah, is there a sort of a, a danger point or a tipping point where the air quality is that bad? And with the with the, the monitoring system, you you see it's that bad. What happens then? Do you go back to the municipalities and say, "Listen, you've got to clean up your air. It's really bad." Look, look, you. Across the country, there are monitoring stations that are monitoring the country, uh, the air around the country. So basically, the municipalities, I think, they would inform residents if the air quality of that particular area is being compromised. They will not just let residents to to be exposed to that. Uh, and also that data, people, they can be able to view that data on our website, which is SACOS website. So, so it is also a constitutional right for for the the citizens of this country in terms of the constitution that they they must be protected. Yeah, oh, those mechanisms yeah. are there, and just to ensure that your your well-being and human health is is, is protected. So, yeah. so that's what we, we we are doing, and I don't think that. Uh, the municipalities would then just let people being, be exposed and like without informing them. Yeah, it can happen though, can't it? Because uh, the thing about air quality is that you don't necessarily, it's invisible, um, you, you know, so you don't necessarily see when it's going wrong until whole communities start to get sick. And we're, we're pointing the finger very firmly at transport, but I suppose bigger even than transport and or all the emission that comes out of vehicles is industry. Uh, I think I think the major source is uh, is, is 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 transport uh, industries. Industries they are regulated because all the industries they are giving they are given an operating license. That operating license basically stipulates what they can emit out. Obviously, what they will emit out is not going to compromise. Uh, there are models that are available. For instance, there are dispersion models that they will be used to forecast to ensure that um, under normal working conditions, this is what happens, this is the scenario, and the worst scenario, this is what would happen. And it's always on the health side to ensure that people people's health is not compromised. So so it, we, we we also have to acknowledge that, that fact as well, that, that those people, they've got a license to, 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 to abide by. Just lastly, Lotta, you know, we were just talking earlier about the increase in traffic. You know, commuters in Cape Town are spending 90 hours a year in traffic. Has the quality of the air in South Africa significantly worsened uh, over a period of time? I'm not sure how long you've been with weather services, but has there been a significant worsening of our air quality? 
Um, unfortunately, I cannot I cannot comment on that one because then uh, the chief, the national equality officer, would have to come in to mm. to make those comments. Uh, on, on our side, I'm just dealing with the technical side, collecting data, uh, just putting report and dealing with the public as well. So, in terms of uh, qualifying that statement or not qualifying that statement, uh, then the national chief would have to come in. Well, thank you very much for sharing what you do know, and it's been it's been really fascinating. And you know, as I say, it's all invisible, and you go out there and you think, well, lovely, clean, fresh air, but you're never quite sure what's in it. Lotta, thank you very much for joining us. You take uh, care. Yeah, I just I just also want to say that mm. look, as much as as much as we see, we we tend to look at what's happening out there, not to look at ourselves. For instance. Uh, there are people that really work closer to their workplace. Those people can walk. Uh, some of them, they can also use their bicycles. And they can also share a car as well. Yeah. There are lift clubs around. So so the, all those are efforts to ensure that the air quality is is, is, is not is not compromised. And, and we can all work together. If we work together, we, we will not compromise the air quality of this country. So it is important then to, to, to work together. Yeah. There, there are a couple of initiatives where, where SOS, as well as the Department of Environmental Affairs, they're doing education awareness. They basically go around the country to schools, to, to, to churches, and to any other places where they are invited to, to, to give awareness. We, we do know that there's, there's a lot of tire burning in certain places, and mm. that is contributing to air quality. The waste burning, burning of waste as well, that is contributing to air quality. So I think what we do as, as a society, we are pointing the finger away, whereas we are also as well contributing towards the air quality. I mean, we, we can all, for instance, plan our trips. If, 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 if you know, for instance, in other countries, such as Germany, uh, you. You, you will not just be driving up and down in town without knowing where you're going. You will be stopped and you'll be asked where you're going. So those are policies that are there as mechanisms to ensure that the air quality is not compromised. And I think if we can all be responsible, then, then that would be good. That yeah. we just have to share or walk uh, the country will be better. Yeah, I, I guess there'd be many, many people would be only too delighted to be able to work to walk, walk, walk to work, I would say. <laughs> if anybody would like to know more, Lotta, is there a website where they can find out a little bit more? Um, you, you can visit, you can visit um, SACWA's South African Air Quality Information System, and they, um, it's spelled as S-A-A-Q-I-S Okay. okay, let me give that yeah, one out there's, again. There's, there's, there's a couple of publications there. In fact, the national report, it is there as well. And, and, and people can have a look at that yeah. and they can always engage us. Excellent. Well, that's, I think it's definitely one to know. Lotta Manjana, thank you very much. Very best of luck and, and have a lovely, peaceful weekend. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks. Lotta Mayana, Chief of Weather Services, uh, very involved with the uh, the condition of our air. So if you'd like to check that site, it's SACWIS, which is www.saaqis.org.za. Saaqis.org.za. The Enviro Show on SAFM. Handel's choral masterpiece, The Messiah, is the world's best-loved oratorio, attracting audiences the world over. 
And you could see a choral performance of the entire Messiah by Handel with the Symphony Choir of Johannesburg and the Johannesburg Festival Orchestra conducted by Richard Koch. It's at the Linda Auditorium tomorrow at 3rd of April 2015, starts at 6pm and it costs somewhere between 120 and 260 rand. But if you're unable to make it to the venue, tune in for a live broadcast right here on SAFM. The Enviro Show. Well, on the Enviro Show round about this time, we have a, a check-in to our forage feature. And tonight what we're looking at is a little bit of a drink to celebrate Easter, a truly South African drink, which blends... Well, it's kind of a blend of two types of crop, it's apples and rooibos, which together make up rooibos wooded cider, which works how? Well, I'm not sure, but it's certainly happening in Elgin, apple country, as you know. Well, they've been producing cider there for some time, but now there's a very special kind of cider that has the tang of rooibos in it. And we have on the line from Windermere Farm, where it's all happening, Tamsin Mullins. Hi, Tamsin. Hi there, how are you doing? Excellent, excellent. I want to say cheers. Um, so, Tamsin, it's what, t- tell us about this um, this rooibos wooded cider. You, have you been making uh, cider for some time there at Windermere Farm? Tell us about your start. Well, Windermere Cider originally started in 1998, and the business went until about 2006. Um, unfortunately, at the time, the market wasn't quite ready for craft cider, and it wasn't ready for craft beer. The business sort of staggered along until 2006 when it closed our doors. In 2012, we reopened it with the emergence of the craft beer boom, and we've been making it ever since. The label cider, on the other hand, that's been a new innovation. Trevor um, straight in for Modesto Wines approached us in 2013 with an insane idea to make label for the cider. And initially, the hook wasn't quite there for me because I didn't really want to make a flavor, and so I was more into making things naturally as we do on our farm. Um, they're about 8.2 apples per bottle, and mature in French oak. So our process of making cider is very traditional in a, in a French style, and we don't do any concentrates or anything like that. So making a gimmick rooibos cider just wasn't for us. But then you had me on the hook when you said, using the rooibos as an antioxidant will replace the need for sulfur. And you can make the first sulfur-free, not sulfur-free, but now a sulfur-added cider in South Africa, and certainly in Africa. And goodness gracious, we were hooked ever since. Oh. So... We were ecstatic to find out what had happened in his wines was almost identically true for our cider. Um, it, it just, the technology behind it is not rather than technology, but certainly the science behind it is so simple that we're actually quite astounded that we, and it's quite embarrassing, in fact, that we didn't quite think of it ourselves first. It basically works on, if you bite an apple, you leave it out for a while to brown, which is oxidation. And the same happens when you take lots of apple juice. You leave it for a while, and the apple juice turns really brown. And nobody wants to drink a cider mm. that's horrible brown juice. So that's why we would have added sulfur. And that's certainly why the wine industry, when it gets oxidation and grapes, also adds sulfur. Trevor said to us, what you do is you add lots of rooibos, and certainly lots of honeybush because they're antioxidants. And we found that they ate all that oxygen out after the apples. You need to add any added sulfur. And, and so began our process of creating a rooibos cider that had no adult sulfur preservatives. And in the process, we also found that rooibos is such an amazing product. It prolongs our shelf life and um, gives an amazing taste. It's lovely color and certainly reduces the chemicals in the cider, which is, is something that's, that's so beyond our understanding, but we're certainly happy to have found this out. 
Tamsin, your line is quite difficult to hear. I'm not sure if, if, if everybody else is able to hear, but I'm struggling a little bit. But did I hear you say 8.2 apples per bottle? Yes, yes. We have on average 8.2 apples for every single bottle. We do not water our cider down. We do not add concentrate. We do not add colorants. We do not add anything that is natural. We make cider like you would make wine. In fact, in Germany, they call it apple vice because it is made in a similar process. Um, I mean, you, you certainly don't go along to any wine farm and say, is it made out of concentrate? Yeah. It's made out of Tamsin, I tell you what we're going to do. We're actually just going to phone you back on a better line because I'm really battling to hear what you say. And I think it sounds really interesting. So hang up. We're going to call you on your cell. Okay. Right. Okay. Excellent. Right. Thanks very much. Yeah, Chatting to Tamsin Mullins, she's out there in Elgin on Windermere Farm, where they've been making, where they've been making cider, which certainly sounds it's rooibos wooded cider, um, and I think it's under license to Red Dawn. Well, we're going to find out exactly how they add the um, the rooibos to it, but I'm pretty gobsmacked there about 8.2 apples per bottle that's really extraordinary isn't it so stay with us we're going to find out a little bit more from Tamsin Mullins it's just in just a minute but if you'd like to in the meantime check their site if you're a cider drinker and you fancy the sulfur free cider or virtually sulfur free cider check their site which is windermerecider.co.za windermerecider.co.za and you're also accused of interfering directly in the commercial and operational decision-making at the power utility. Is this not correct? Yes, I did say so. So does, that, did, not, yeah. does that not sound like someone has a personal vendetta against you? I still maintain that it's not a personal vendetta. These are things that uh, I would not have expected her to have done. The way that utilities protocol operate is that the minister communicates with the chairman of the board as the shareholder representative at the utility. All of that was not uh, working. And I found it quite odd that uh, she was not in touch with me in terms of the issues that had to do with the work of the utility. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. This Saturday on SAFM Sports Special, we go behind the scenes. We get the latest and the most important sports news you can use. So join me from 3 p.m. on Saturday on SAFM Sports Special. But right here on the Enviro Show, we're talking about cider and not just any old cider, but rooibos wooded cider with Tamsin Mullins. Hi, Tamsin. Hi, so I'm back. I, I hope this line is better for, for you and your listeners. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure that it's that fab, actually. But Tamsin, just what, what I'm not understanding is exactly how you put the, um, how you put the rooibos into the... Is, is it all part of the wooding process, the rooibos? It, 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 it's a two-part process. Like I said earlier... When you bite into an apple and you leave it for a while, it, it turns brown and yeah, oxidizes. Yeah. So that the same, when we crush all our apples, which is usually in about, well, it's actually from now all the way through till um, late May, depending on the type of apple, um, you, you know, in that oxidation period, when it would, the apple juice, you leave it for a while, it starts early fermentation and turns brown, that's when we originally add the rooibos wood. Okay. Then we allow it to go through first fermentation, and then as soon as it's finished with fermentation, we put it in rooibos wood again. Um, we, we also put it with the French oak. So we, after first ferm- fermentation, we leave it, um, we, we pump all the juice through to big tanks, and we put it with French oak chips and rooibos wood chips for six months in f- with French oak. And we let it mature with the wood. Mm. So you, there's no rooibos actually going into it, it's just in the wooded... Um, yeah. Yeah, so we are, yeah. yeah. It's, it's rooibos wooded cider. 
Um, the big thing about it is we didn't want to make a gimmick about it. We didn't want to make it just an infusion. Um, and, and we didn't want to, we certainly didn't want it to be seen as a, as a tea cider. Um, so, I mean, this was the whole process of using the wood as, a, um, as opposed to the leaves. Yeah. Because it's an integral part of how we actually make it because of, of the chemical properties that it provides as an antioxidant. So even the wood, or even it sitting there in rooibos wood or with rooibos wood, that d- the antioxidant properties transfer themselves to the to the cider. Yeah, they, yeah, basically, yeah, they look for any oxygen that it, during fermentation the the juice turns turns into alcohol, and in that fermentation process, oxidation occurs, and the, the antioxidant properties of the rooibos wood attach themselves to the oxygen within there and just eat it all up and this is a major property that that, that is extracted um, and like I said earlier within it when I don't know if, if, if you managed to hear properly mm. we, we managed to find so many additional characteristics that we never even banked on like the longer shelf life the change in color the great um, earthy taste that came through and, and the lower kilojoules that it is actually creating um, in our in our product um, we use pretty much the same process between making normal traditional cider in a, fin- in a French style to making the rooibos cider with the, with, with the change in adding sulfur to the one and not the other. Um, and we found that the kilojoule rating in the one is significantly higher than the kilojoule rating in the rooibos. Why that is, I'm not entirely sure. Mm. I have to speak to my scientist friends about that, but it's certainly, you know, the facts are there. Yeah, well, it certainly does sound like an art and a science, and I bet you're wondering what took you so long, you know, yeah, as you well, say. It, 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 I mean, it, it is as complicated as it is, it is also simple. Yeah. And it was a bit, we were actually a bit embarrassed, and uh, that we didn't think of it ourselves. But Tamsin, just, just lastly, is it flying off the shelves, or do people go, ugh, you know, I don't want rooibos in my, in my cider. What's, what's people, the public's take on it? It's a very mixed reaction. Um, those people that love rooibos will immediately jump to it. Mm. But there are certainly a large portion of people, myself in particular, I'm not a rooibos fan on nature. And um, I think that's also why it took me a while to actually really jump into the whole process. But because it's not a gimmick and it's because it's actually the process of how you make it, and I liken the taste of of the actual cider to that of a heavily wooded Chardonnay. I like a really dry wine and, and with very earthy undertones. And that is basically what is what is evident in the cider is that it tastes very similar to a very wooded Chardonnay, mm. and that a lot of people can identify with. They're not tasting tea; it's very subtle, and certainly for people that are, have sulfur allergies, like my mother, yeah. um, she she absolutely loves it because she doesn't suffer with sinus as a result of uh, um, of, of drinking the cider. I would imagine you just have to watch her intake, however. Yeah, no, no, no of course. <laughs> I'm not saying this is absolute for everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly the degree of which your, your allergies and suffer um, will obviously impact yeah. on how much or how little you can take. Um, it's also important to say that it's not a sulfur-free cider because there yeah. are natural sulfates occurring within within the apples and certainly within the sulfur, but we do not add any additional sulfates. Well, it sounds like it has many, many benefits. Tamsin, thank you very much. I'm going to give out your website once again if anybody would like to check it out. It's a rooibos wooded cider, which certainly sounds like it's got a bit of a kick one way or another, not to mention many health benefits. Lovely. Tamsin, thank you very much. Cheers. Right. Cheers. Tamsin Mullins, if you'd like to find out more, windermerecider.co.za, and I'm sure that's up on our Facebook page already, windermerecider.co.za.
Well, finally, if you're a regular listener, I suspect that you may have more than a passing interest in green issues. You may even have a business or a service or a product that perhaps focuses on environmental matters, in which case you may well be in line to win an Ecologic Award. As you probably know, they're annual awards made by Enviropedia, from which we have on the line Linda Baker, who's a communications manager. Hi, Linda. Hi, Nancy, and hello, listeners. Nice to have you with us. Uh, Ecologic Awards, they happen year after year. I imagine you're getting more and more or increasing number of, of, uh, of people entering what are you really looking for? Are there many different categories? What do you What do you want? Who do you want to be awarding? Um, we're looking for South Africa's eco champions and for people, and we want to celebrate outstanding achievements. So we have um, uh, several categories. In fact, there's 13. And if I could quickly run through them: um, biodiversity, climate change, eco innovation, energy saving, transport, water conservation, recycling municipalities, eco-community, eco-youth, eco-angel and eco-warrior. And we are introducing a new award this year, the Business Green Economy Initiative. But the people who we're looking to enter are individuals, organizations, big and small businesses and municipalities. Anyone who's making a difference to the environment. Yeah, I guess that should be all of us, really, one way or another. Interesting, there's a category for transport. We were talking about transport earlier, as you can imagine, with so many people getting on the roads for the holidays. What sort of, what what have been previous winners in that particular category? Um, well, last year we had a company called Blendwell Chemicals winning, and they... Um, they found they had a certain chemical that was quite bulky to transport, and by taking the water out of it and adding it on the other side, it saved a lot of transport costs. Um, we also had the Bicycle Empowerment Network, the city of Johannesburg, Rio Vea Bus Rapid Transit, mm. and Findalift. So mm. a very, very mixed, and as well, and one of the Certificate of Merit winners was the Endangered Wildlife Trust Wildlife and Roads Project. So, you know, although we've got these six categories, they're extremely broad, and we also encourage people to enter in multiple categories if they, need, if yeah, they feel yeah. they can. Yes, absolutely, if they're not quite sure, or maybe it does sort of, uh, you know, cross the different categories. You, you mentioned the company there. Do you get many individuals, people who've got a sort of a backyard device or something that they've dreamt up entering as well? We do, and I, I think this is what I love about the Ecologic Awards, is that the criteria that we use enable from the largest corporation to the smallest individual or community-based organization to enter. How many, Linda, I'm not sure how long you've been there, but I think the awards have been going for some years. <coughs> Excuse yes, me. five years. Are there, has there been a significant increase in the numbers of people? As I say, one way or another, we should all be entering something. Um, have, have the numbers shot up? Yes, they have. Um, people are quite reluctant to enter, and I think it's because a lot of eco-champions tend to be modest. So this year we want people to cast aside their modesty and, you know, to enter. But we're looking at sort of 200 to 300 entries a year in the various categories. And, um, you know, we, we do have an, an online entry form this year uh, where you need to fill in, according to our various criteria, what you, how you meet those criteria. So I think a lot of people are initially put off by that, but we've tried to make it much easier this year by teasing out the different categories or the different um, criteria and making a space for, say, 50 words or 100 words to write under each. Okay, so people need not be afraid and they need not be modest. Maybe to help them get over their modesty, you can tell us what the prizes are. I mean, is it, is it worthwhile people entering? 
Um, unfortunately, we can't offer big cash prizes, but we did. We commissioned a little video this year to interview our previous winners and to find out what the benefits have been in terms of winning. And mm. what they reported was the exposure was amazing, um, particularly for small ind- individual, small companies. Getting the level of national publicity was great. Yeah, um, credibility was another factor, but. For instance, there was a hotel, Hotel Verde. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention names. Yes, they no, they've done very well. Credibility was a, a really, really important factor that they've been saying they're green, but because of greenwashing and that, sometimes people don't believe it. But, but by winning an award such as this, their credibility was really, really underlined. Um, people have reported that their business has increased and, you know, that new markets have opened. And then from our... Um, Our smaller organizations, our community-based organizations, they've said that, you know, the communities have seen them on TV or heard about them in the press, and they've increased their membership, especially volunteers. Um, It's increased staff morale, and that they've had um, a greater interest from both government and the private sector Hmm. in terms of donations. It's just doors opening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't buy that sort of publicity, so it's well worth it. It may not be actually in cash, but my goodness me, certainly valuable spin-off, as you say. Linda, if anybody would like to enter, entries have already opened up and when do they close? It closed on the 31st of July. Okay, so there's a little bit of time, but don't delay. Uh, eco-logicawards.com, I think, is that right? Yes, that's correct, and we'll be having an awards ceremony in Cape Town on the 20th of October. Oh, excellent. Well, we might make sure we go along to that. Lovely. Invited. Linda okay. Baker, thank you very much. Very best of luck. I'm sure the, the entries will come flooding in. There you go. If you'd like to enter your product, service, whatever it may be, uh, check it out. The website is eco logic awards.com eco-logicawards.com and that is up on our Facebook page yeah it is it's uh, which is the Enviro show on SAFM well that's it thanks very much to the team that's Kim Winter and Derek Fordyce and I'm Nancy Richards and waiting in the wings is Stephen Kirker hi Stephen